Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, we did it. It's bittersweet times. Best ball season is almost over. Best ball regular season. Best ball season goes on forever, 24-7, 365. But the NFL regular season best ball tournaments are wrapping up tonight. We have tons we can learn from that, and now that's what we're going to start doing. Like I said, the season never stops. We can start talking about things that we can take away, maybe things that we can't take away. And just kind of uh, have a little fun looking back at some of the results of these wonderful, wonderful best ball tournaments with millions going to some of you guys. Liam, shout out Liam for almost assuredly locking up a million dollars on underdog. Got other people already in the chat talking about that they're live to make a run on DraftKings. Tons to talk about. Tons of lessons to learn. First episode the new series on Spike Week, Best Ball Lessons. Let's get it rolling. Just as Paul says, no days off. No days off. We're back in the saddle. We're ready to rock and roll. It a fun for everybody that made it, whether it worked out perfectly for you or not, like it did for Liam. Whether it worked out perfectly or not, we had a fun day of sweating yesterday. Um, obviously, the team and that Peter and I got into the BBM finals, made a run, was was live to, to do some damage. Came up a little bit short, but that was a ton of fun. I know some of you guys are in here. Steven, ninth in the Puppy 3 and fading fading Najee to hang on. That's awesome. Got a li- uh, lineup that's live in the in the DK Millie here, which is awesome, which I saw that Herzig is still sitting in second. Um, so a lot still to sweat. A lot still to sweat tonight in this last game, Monday Night Football Browns-Steelers, which what a horrible game to end the best ball season on, right? I guess the horrible two games. <laughs> the Vikings without Kirk Cousins uh, didn't exactly put up much of a fight. And now we get the Big Ben Baker Mayfield game, which I guess in the playoffs last year was like one of the most ridiculous epic shootouts ever where the Browns got up by a million and uh, there was massive, massive fantasy scores. So maybe that happens again. That would be bad for me personally, but maybe good. 
for some other people. Let me see what we got right behind you. Oh yeah, that's Tony. Tony is uh Tony, you have Najee? Do you have Najee? Is that what you're uh is that what you're needing tonight? Uh, let me see. Steven. Yeah. Heard that. Really funny. That's supposed to be a funny funny game, right? Like we're talking about lessons here. Like obviously Darrington was one of the guys I was very very high on. Um, I feel fine about that, right? Obviously, that did not work at all. Um, you know, obviously, was stone dust basically before the season even started with any Darrington cheering. He's my highest own player. But, you know, results are results and process is process. And looking and seeing what the Titans have done with Dontrell Hilliard and Deonta Foreman um, without Derrick Henry um, has, you know, you feel decent about that process. So you just roll that on over into into next year obviously you know you wish you had more Rashad Penny but he was also looking like <laughs> a massive massive bust doing absolutely nothing all year and then being the guy that you needed to win the tournaments right like I mean you you basically needed Rashad Penny to win these tournaments not only because he had the monster championship game right that was Jamar Chase you needed Jamar Chase because he had the monster championship game Rashad Penny was the late round running back that was putting up monster scores all throughout the fantasy playoffs and so it's funny, right? You know, we get really attached to these results. And I think that's what I want to have this show for every Monday. You know, this is obviously the first one. It's very fresh in our mind. So, you know, we can talk about all the, the things that you guys are, are bringing up and some of the things that have been posted in the Discord, maybe some of the things that have been on Twitter, maybe some of the things bouncing around in my brain. But ultimately, figuring out, I think the, the biggest task for all of us over the course of the next, what we'll probably start draft, you know, uh, start drafting BBM three or something in April. So, you know, just a few short months, uh, we'll be back at this, this NFL thing again. Obviously we have baseball for those baseball folks coming up. We'll have the NBA, uh, best ball playoffs. We have the NFL playoffs, playoff tournaments. You know, we have a lot to go between now and then, but over these next few, over these next few months, kind of, diving into some of these things that happened, didn't happen. You know, obviously we'll get the, we'll have the data from, from underdog. I don't think we'll have the data from DraftKings. We might be able to get something from drafters, right. And just start to dissect a lot of this stuff and see like the, like I said, the, the thing that we have to do is take this time to figure out what can we learn from to improve our game and give ourselves a better shot, give ourselves a better shot next year you know, in three months, <laughs> which is crazy in three months or so, when we start doing this whole thing again, what, it, what is a real takeaway? And I think that's, uh, uh, it's the, it's the trickiest line to toe for all of us in all of this, right? Because any NFL season can play out in like millions of ways and it only plays out in one, right? This Jamar chase 50 point fantasy game in the fantasy playoffs is like one way that this this plays out, but like you know, and the the Dar Darrington gets hurt, right? Um, Rashad Penny is a smash. Um, here we go. Must own players, right? Jamar on the winning teams. Jamar Chase, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Rashad Penny. And this is true; they could have been had in any in in any structure. I totally agree, but it is difficult to divorce yourself from the results and the specific names, the specific structures of winning teams, 
right? And try not to draw too much, like draw the right amount, draw the right things away, right? And so that's what I want to start, that just having this conversation with all you guys. You guys are smart. You guys figure this out um, even better than I do, you know, about how can we use these results to identify actionable information that truly can help us make better teams next year and make better decisions. There's certainly things we'll get into this over the course of the next few months that I think I can do better. Everybody I'm sure has that feeling things that you can do better, but I think everyone's going to have different takeaways from all this. If you watched um, the underdog football show today at lunchtime with Josh and Hayden, they went through the top, the, the current top 10 teams in best ball mania too. pulled them all up, kind of di- dissected them. Obviously all really good teams. Um, obviously having one of them, one of them, maybe I'm a little biased, but going through the individual teams, if you listen to Hayden and Josh, they did such a good job of talking about, honestly, like not even the players, right? Because I'm on Ross St. Brown is I'm on Ross St. Brown. If we get too tied into, there is of course, some level of player analysis in, right? Like, we have to have some level of player analysis. It's not just like close your eyes and pick whatever player. It doesn't matter. There is a, there's a certain level of that. And I'm on Ross St. Brown fit, fit some of that, you know, um, had plenty of things in his profile as a, and, and situation to where we could identify him as a, as a late round target, but like it could be, he's one example. He's an archetype of a player that I think was a more than reasonable pick. You know, I didn't have him very much. And obviously that hurt me. <laughs> and it hurt us, hurt Pete and I's team in Best Ball Mania too. But getting too, too, too tied to specific names of specific players or even specific structures. If you, again, if you watch that show with Josh and, Josh and Hayden, of the top 10 teams, there was a bunch of different structures. There was mostly two quarterback teams. There were some three quarterback teams. There were full-blown zero RB teams. There were full-blown robust RB teams. There was RB, RB. There, every structure was basically represented in this final. And then it just came down to, did you have Jamar Chase? <laughs> did you have Rashad Penny? Did you have Amon Ross St. Brown? Right? That was like it. Everybody else was just whatever. Devin Singletary was a guy who popped up a lot, obviously, as another late-round running back. That was something I think is a interesting takeaway this year being um this year and last year definitely i'm you know trying to take into consideration the covid madness right obviously we have injuries every single year but the situations with these teams and and dealing with covid and the covid list certainly um is a big deal and impacts the running back position even even more than other other positions right because you get Rashad Penny, you know, yeah, I know he wasn't a, a COVID thing, but you get Rashad Penny stepping into a you know a full-blown workhorse role and just so happens to have also good matchups down the stretch. And you get a smash in the late rounds, right? When Dalvin Cook misses, Alexander Madison is a monster. You know, you just think about it from a DFS perspective. When Dalvin Cook is out, Alexander Madison is one of the highest raw point projections of any running back on the slate, right? Even when... Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are out. Josh Palmer is a, is a good, is a good option. He is never going to be one of the highest raw points projections that he cannot duplicate 
what Cooper Cup can do, what Devontae Adams can do, what Tyreek Hill can do, what Jamar Chase just did. So, so there's some level of, of that nuance. And I think navigating our way through that with, I, I want to pull that comment back up again, with those guys can be had in any structure, figuring out how all the puzzle pieces fit together as it relates to structure is, is, is a big deal as opposed to diving. You know, there's a, like I said, there's a certain level of the Amon Ross St. Brown thing is a really good one. I wasn't drafting him a ton. And uh, I do believe I probably should have mixed him in a little bit more. He, he was the exact type of player I'm for drafting Deami Brown for drafting, pick another late round rookie or second year wide receiver. What's the difference? Right. And so the Amon Ra thing is also is almost is not a lesson in Amon Ra himself or anything. It is that if we know inherently to target those kind of guys, right. Look at the, look, Look at the, the league winners from this year in the playoffs or in the championship round. It wasn't, you know, this veteran, whatever, old guy. It wasn't even the league winners of the entire season. Cooper Cup was fine. Jonathan Taylor was fine. Mark Andrews was fine. But they weren't the true monster league winners in Week 17. Jamar Chase, rookie. Amon Ross St. Brown, rookie. Rashad Penny, not, not young, but backup, backup running back. Right. And so thinking a lot of those things through is some of the stuff I want to talk about here. Let me hit now. Let me hit some kind of some uh, comments, questions, whatever. Nick, shout out, Nick. What are your thoughts? I'm going to be posting this to the audio, the audio feed moving forward as well. So I'm going to try to make sure and read these comments as best I can um, read off any things I'm sharing on the screen, whatever. So bear with me if you are watching on YouTube. What are your thoughts on the later round pass catchers? Hines, McKissick, Geo, et cetera, right? The strictly pass-catching running backs have no path, essentially no path, to like a work to a, a Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison type type role. None of them really paid off, thinking your better chance at the top is just taking shots on the contingent guys. So that is a lesson I do feel um, is something we need to consider. Not because just of what happened this year. I actually feel fairly strongly that if James White had stayed healthy, and maybe this is also something that is site dependent in PPR formats, I feel like James White would have been um, fairly valuable. We also have uh, the issue with the Washington football team where they completely collapsed, like totally, totally collapsed. And maybe that's something we should have seen coming. I don't know. Um, and Naheem Hines was um, maybe a guy we should have seen also taking a step back to JT. If JT is going to continue to ascend, it's going to be continuing to grow a little bit more in that passing game role, which he did. And that obviously hurts Hines. I think to Nick's point, in these tournaments, the biggest thing, as, as, as we see a lot of years, and it wasn't just this year. And so I think that's important to make sure that we consider it is guys, again, my, my reference to like the DFS example, when you're trying to win one of these tournaments, when you get to these playoff rounds, particularly the championship round, James White, Naheem Hines, JD McKissick are never going to offer you the level of projection and upside to take first out of 160 when you get there. Now, 
there's obviously a conversation about can they provide you with a with enough of a floor throughout the course of the season to help you get there and then as long as you're structuring your teams with other players of the contingent value archetype that you know mixing those guys in can make sense it's absolutely something i'm not going to like sit here and make a firm stance on the day after the season the the best ball season is is over but i think i was pretty much always a proponent throughout the course of the entire draft season of being much heavier on the contingent value guys. I had more Darrington, right? Um, I was touting right the, the, the crappy names of the contingent guys, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, obviously we know about Tony Pollard. We know about Alexander Madison. Uh, James Connor was like a hybrid between a contingent, right? But he ended up basically being uh, uh, largely hit. His massive spikes were in the weeks that Chase Edmonds was out. So he was partially a contingent value play, but also a little bit better than that, which is why he went in the 10th round or so instead of the 14th or 15th. Rashad Penny, obviously. Um, But I'm trying to think of even some guys that didn't pan out. Damian Williams, you know, he didn't end up becoming a thing. Um, Khalil Herbert sort of stole that. And Damian was also banged up a lot. Kenyon Drake, those kinds of guys are the guys that can become like projectable RB1s, not like praying for something to go their way, which is what you're hoping for with James White and J.D. McKissick. Something in the game needs to break their way, no matter who's in or out. They don't give you – they cannot physically do what Rashad Penny just did yesterday. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to run for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. You know, And Rashad Penny could have had more. They got to the one twice um, and they threw it, um, which was painful. But I, I generally, to Nick's comment, do think um, we probably should lean a little bit more to the contingent value guys. That was largely what I thought before. So it also can be a little bit, you know, you try to make sure you're not having a, a confirmation bias, but it's also how is the market going to treat all of this, right? I think what Nick is saying could end up becoming a little bit more of the consensus. And so Alexander Madison is not going to be around in the 14th next year. You know, uh, Tony Pollard already wasn't, right? And so we'll see. I haven't gone through the very, very early 2022 um, ADPs or anything like that, but it's something, it's absolutely something to monitor. And I think... uh, and I think it's it's a great because this is what you're looking for, right? We don't know which one it's going to be. It could have been Tony Pollard. It could have been Tony Pollard. Like if there's a scenario in which Zeke goes down, I mean, Jesus, he was hurt all year anyway. <laughs> you know, Dalvin, they changed the COVID rules. The week, you know, it could have been Alexander Madison season last night. Obviously, you know, it was a mess without Kirk Cousins. But there's a scenario in which Kirk Cousins plays and Dalvin stays on the COVID list, and you get Madison on Sunday night as the workhorse, you know, in the final week, you know, there's, there's tons of these scenarios, but you're just hoping right to hit on that guy that can be, that can match or beat the best, you know, the, the round one, two, three running backs. Right. And so um, I think it's, I think that's a very, very, very interesting discussion point. NFL draft is the 28th through the 30th of April. BBM three shortly thereafter. That is my guess. That is my guess. I am sure that they are 
have already been having discussions about this. Uh, I am certain they are having discussions about, you know, prize pool, all sorts of, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, the explosion of best ball <laughs> has been pretty crazy. So I am fascinated to see what happens to like the prize pool when they're launching contests, what types of contests that they're going to launch, etc. Yeah. As Paul said, I'd expect it within a week or so after the draft. I think that is a good take from Paul. And as Paul says, they'll do tournaments that start after the Super Bowl, which is crazy, but it's a, another interesting dynamic of these drafts that, you know, the, the rookies will be in there. The guys who have declared for the draft, we just don't know where they're going to be drafted yet. Rob says, for me, the biggest argument yet to be resolved is still the Henderson case study. Good point. Do we take a player rounds ahead of where he was originally going or are we dead to teams that got him later? And I don't think that there's a right answer. This is such a good, this is another really, really good one. I really like, you guys are hitting on some of my favorite topics already. So this is, this is good. I, like I said, I really like thinking about the contingent value versus the, um, you know, like pass catching type backs. And I really like this because this is going to happen every year, right? Every single year, uh, someone like Cam Akers is going to go down. You know, I don't know. We don't know when it's going to happen during the offseason. Could happen in the preseason. Will almost assuredly happen in the preseason. You know, this year we had several. Someone like this is going to go down. And you're going to have the backup running back that was going in the 12th round now moves up to the fourth round or whatever. Let's just use the fourth or fourth or fifth round. Henderson was great. Henderson was really good, right? Before he got hurt. Once he got hurt, then Sony stepped in and Sony was great. But once, once that ADP shift happens, my personal like inherent belief that I, as Rob asks, that I, I that I, I want to question in this in this offseason and just think a little bit more about is like, okay, are you truly dead? And part of me says, if that guy, so if he has the Henderson season this year, great, he's a great example because he was good. He was extremely useful, particularly when on your 12th round teams, right? But if if he just has that good season, do you, you know, what he still might be a good fifth round pick, sixth round pick. You might want him on your team. And then if he gets if he does the Rashad Penny in the championship. You know, are you more likely to win by taking him regardless of the ADP shift? Or are you more likely to win by just flat out fading him now? Because you know that there are teams that are just, frankly, they're just better, right? I mean, it's just, it's not that they're like so much better, but they're absolutely better. 12th round Daryl Henderson, particularly if you, like if you have a zero RB 12th round Henderson team or an anchor RB, right? If you had Jonathan Taylor, and then 12th round Daryl Henderson is like your RB2, you know, that team has a better shot at getting Jamar Chase. That team has a better shot at getting Mark Andrews. That team has a better shot of having Devontae Adams. That team has a better shot of having whatever, right? Name your name your player that you really wanted, Josh Allen. And so there's that process of thinking that through, but there's also still only so many teams to get through to the final, right? And we saw this year, it's so dependent upon what happens in those first couple of rounds, mainly the second round of who gets through to the final, right? Mark Andrews was on two thirds 
of BBM teams. <laughs> Two thirds of BBM final teams. You know, you had Cup at like 50%. JT wasn't even, JT was, in my opinion, like the fantasy smash of all fantasy smashes because of the, because of how weak the running back position was. Cup was obviously carrying um, a lot of teams, but JT was uh, unbelievable this year, right? And he wasn't on that many teams because he wasn't very good in those first, you know, by JT standards in those first couple of, of playoff rounds. And then he, you didn't need him to win. Uh, you know, obviously Liam won with Jonathan Taylor, but he, he wasn't, he, you know, Rashad Penny lapped him. Devin Singletary beat him, you know, other I think David Montgomery beat him. Plenty of other, like Sony Michelle had, uh, I think Sony beat him. You know, there was lots of other running backs that were available to, to beat John, Jonathan Taylor. And so anyway, that going back to the, the Henderson point is thinking, knowing what we know inherently about those playoffs, there's absolutely a case to be made that like, just give me the good guys, <laughs> give me the guys that are good on the good offenses. And I'll take my shot when I get there. Right. Cause if you have Amon Ross St. Brown and somebody else doesn't, and we get to, you know, you have Jamar Chase and you have Amon Ross St. Brown and Daryl Henderson has a good game. Does it really matter? <laughs> does it really matter if you got him in the sixth round or the 12th round? I'm not sure. You know, um, like I said, my inherent natural thought process is I don't want, I'm not interested in taking that guy at a massive ADP shift, but I think it's something that we should be thinking about for sure. Eric says the hardest part is getting through the playoffs. My team would have smashed in the finals, but was out in the first round of the playoffs. Do we need to be looking at week 15 and week? So this is another good one. Do we need to be looking at the playoff matchups more? And I was already a, um, maybe a little more so than some other people. Um, definitely in on looking at the the playoff matchups, but even then, you know, the counterpoint to the playoff round matchup stuff is it's really not that easy to know. We came into the season thinking the chiefs defense was terrible and the chiefs defense was not terrible. We came into the the season thinking the Cowboys defense was terrible. Cowboys defense was absolutely not terrible. (laughs) Not at all. Quite good. Shut down tons of teams. Um, Trying to think of, you know, some other ones. So like some matchups, that we're, we're banking on being good. Now I do think we can, you know, the Texans are, we're going to be a good matchup no matter what the lions were going to be a good matchup, no matter what um, probably the Jaguars, uh, you know, I think barb on the, on the barbell ends, I think we could probably have a pretty good idea of who the super, super elite defenses are and who the super, super bad defenses are kind of anywhere there in the middle. And even then people probably thought the Cowboys were on that very bad end of, of the spectrum, or you get injuries. Look at the Ravens. The Ravens were not a defense. We were particularly excited about targeting ever, like by any stretch of the imagination, but by the end of the season, they're playing with practice squad defensive backs and they're the best matchup in the NFL for passing games, you know, and, and you could run on them too. I mean, Sony ran on them like crazy. So that's the hard part. What I will say about looking at those matchups, I think it would be, it would behoove us, behoove us, to do to think a little bit more of the correlation, but strictly from a correlation sense, not from a predicting, you know, predicting the best games. Now, there is still a little bit of okay, you know, I already like so we we the, the Dallas uh, Arizona game was obviously one that almost became a meme, right? Everybody's like, oh my god, Dallas and Arizona, and it flopped. The game flopped, but. 
if you already, you know, are on these teams and these players, it makes sense clearly then. Like we like the Arizona offense, we like the Dallas offense. So naturally, if I draft a Dak stack and I'm deciding between James Conner and Gus Edwards, like just take James Conner. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're deciding between Rondale Moore and Elijah Moore, you take Rondale Moore on the Dak stack. Um, but that's the point. I think it is, it is, you know, do the same thing, even if the matchup doesn't look good. You don't, you know, you drafted a Brady stack. We don't, we didn't really think we necessarily wanted to target the Bucks, but take Michael Carter over whoever. Take Elijah Moore over whoever. Take, apparently we should have been taking Braxton Berrios uh, in the, in the last round, but you get the point. I think it's just, I think the correlation thing actually is a little bit more important maybe than the, the field will, will give it credit for because it's so hard to get through that I want to find a way to minimize the amount of things I have, to, I have to get right. Right. I have to get the regular season right anyway. And so, and that's like none of this other stuff, like in the regular season, whatever, hope, hope to run good. Right. Draft well-structured teams, be smart about your portfolio and then hope to run good. But once we get to those playoffs, we see how hard it is to get through, even when your team's really good, right? Your Joe Burrow stack, your Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase stack died in round one. Like, I mean, I'm sure thousands did. Tough shit. You're, you know, you're out of luck. You had an awesome, you had a Rashad Penny, Amon Ross St. Brown, Joe Burrow, Chase stack. I'm sure some of those died in the first round. And so figuring out little levers that we can pull, I think, throughout the course of our drafts is 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 important. You know, they don't move the needle a ton, but little things that we can do, um, I think, I think are important. Oh, Josh, Josh, congrats. Josh says, congrats, Eric. So cool to see that sweat yesterday. All the different builds in the top 10 is going to make the next hot best ball summer so much fun. Man, I could not possibly agree more. It was so fun to watch. Like I said, if you haven't watched, make sure you go watch the Underdog Football Show. They streamed earlier today. Hayden and Josh, as usual, were awesome going through all the top teams in in um, in BBM as it stands right now, which, you know, of course, if this game goes absolutely nuclear tonight, that will shake things up. But I think looking at the leaderboard, it's um, fairly close to set. You know, I think Liam is pretty locked into first and probably even the top few are pretty locked in. And in general, I think it's going to be a little bit tough for people to make up, you know, there's some Chubb teams, Claypool teams, Najee, um, but I think it's going to be a little bit tough for them to to make up some ground. But what the, they were illustrating is, like I kind of mentioned it earlier, all the different structures, even honestly, the different players, right? When when one player goes for 50, you're going to need Jamar Chase, right? And and Amon Ross St. Brown ended up being close to that because of how cheap he was. Same thing with, with Rashad Penny. Outside of them, like I'm just using our team, Peter and I's team, like as, as an example, we had Rashad Penny and Jamar Chase. We did not have Amon Ross St. Brown. We did not have Jonathan Taylor. We did not have Cooper cup. We did not have Mark Andrews. We did not have Debo Samuel. <laughs> we did not have any of the like highest owned players. We had Devonte Adams. That was like our chalk <laughs> Devonte Adams. Uh, but we ended up, I think, I don't remember if we used Dak. We had Dak and Mac Jones at quarterback actually weren't very popular, even though Dak blew up, even though Dak blew up in week 16, Dak wasn't all that popular. The Cowboys were not popular at all. Mac Jones was certainly not, not popular. Mac Jones stacks were not popular, but when you see people drafting with structure in mind, that's what ends up creating a little bit of that. I mean, Jamar Chase wasn't popular. There was only 10 teams in the BBM final with, with Jamar Chase. And so like the fact that there's all these different paths 
to winning from structure, from, you know, running good with a player in, in the finals. Um, I think these conversations are going to be so awesome over the course. We obviously have tons of smart people like Josh, like, like Hayden, like Peter, like Herzig, like Leone, like I'm missing tons of people. So, so many people doing really, you know, in-depth analysis on, on all of this, that we're all definitely going to get to be a lot better. And it's going to be a lot more kind of fun to figure out the, the next step in this game, right? We all just spent a ton of time talking through this crazy game that we play. And now like, it's only going to get crazier. There's only going to be more people thinking about it. There's only going to be more people producing content and stuff like that. And so how do we adapt and evolve now knowing basically, I think we all pretty much knew, you know, what Josh, what Josh was saying about any, anything can win, right? And absolutely anything can win. Zero running back can win, robust running back can win, blah, blah, blah. Um, now that we know that, how do we how do we take that moving forward, right? How do we use that to our advantage in these tournaments? Paul says, once you get to rounds 15 through 17, there's a lot of luck involved. How strong is the group? Yeah, this one, I, I tweeted about this too, and like, it's painful. My highest scoring teams in both of the first two rounds of the playoffs did not advance. Like so my weaker teams were, were advancing. And it's like, you know, that's, that's, that's just part of the variance of the game. Like you said, when you get placed in a group, as Paul said, how strong is the group you're put into? And do the other teams have a lot of players in common with you? If you got placed into a group that happened to only have two Cooper Cup teams or two Jonathan Taylor teams or whatever, right? Uh, you were the only Mark Andrews team, even though he had a high advance rate. It's just luck of the draw. That team probably advances, even if it's even if it's not that strong. And so that natural, but that natural understanding that that natural variance exists, it's like, it's important. It's really, really important to understand that that we're playing in this game with like oodles and oodles of uh variance and so that's why all this structure and all this kind of stuff because you're just trying to set yourself up to run on the good side of variance you know what i mean um tony has a team that's live in the dk million he had six rookies right perfect example of um you know kind of a player take but not a player take a player archetype take we're trying to find the guys like shocker, two of the three guys you had to have this week were rookies because in week 17, assuming health, the rookies are ascending. The old guys are not ascending. And that, that happens most years, many, many, many years. Nick says, I got so anchored to late round picks, which in hindsight is the exact wrong thing to do. Take your stands within reason early and be very open-minded in the late rounds. Yeah. I think it's, that one's a, the late round thing is definitely another one we'll talk about a lot. So I'm not going to catalog all these comments because you guys are hitting all the, all the perfect subjects for future shows. I think there's again, like anything, there's this line we have to toe, right? Even on these late round picks, I obviously took a stand on Darrington Evans, which buried me but figuring out no matter what round players are going in figuring out you know this small loss big win what's the payoff what's the you know figuring out this ev calculation on all of these players in particular the to me the payoff part of that's what Rashad Penny I mean look at why why Leone and lots of people were talking about Rashad Penny, look at the payoff. 
you know, the payoff was winning a million dollars or having a shot at, 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 at winning a million dollars on these, these late round guys. So if you went ham on Rashad Penny, Nick, you would probably be feeling, you know, a little, a little bit differently. However, I think, like I said, you're towing this line on, you only have 150 shots. And so if you spread yourself too thin, even on late round guys, the odds that you have the team around the late round winner around Rashad Penny, you know, so if you draft five to 10% of everybody, you know, you've already cut your, you've cut yourself down to 10 or 15 of your BBM teams. Now you only have 10 or 15 of those teams. Those teams have to be one of your best, your best teams with, with that guy, right? You have to avoid injury. So it, it is a tricky balance between not going overboard and ruining your entire season off of one stand that you made compared to spreading yourself too thin and not giving yourself enough outs. If you are right about certain, you know, and again, not even certain players, but like an archetype of a player, Darrington was an archetype of a player. I believe that the payoff was big on him. If you preferred somebody else, you preferred somebody else. Um, I think I'll, I'll, piggyback on this point nick and say what i want to do with the the late round picks is honestly just be a little more thoughtful about different players that are probably in play at the ends of drafts so obviously the, the clear there's two clear very clear names that jump out in this type of discussion and it's eli mitchell and cordell patterson like not even being drafted <laughs> not not being drafted like at all in these in these drafts but clearly like now when we look back part of it is probably a little bit of hindsight bias but the other is Eli Mitchell was if you want to replace Eli Mitchell with Jeff Wilson you could probably replace him with Jeff Wilson now Jeff Wilson was hurt it's a little bit different scenario but Eli Mitchell's competition was another rookie Trey Sermon and we know about the value. We we every 49er skill player was going in the top eight rounds. So we clearly valued the team situation very highly, as I think as we should have. We saw what Debo did, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we didn't we weren't thoughtful enough to be like, well, I'm taking these other ambiguous situations. And like, what has Trey Sermon done to earn this level of respect? I'm not saying that Trey Sermon shouldn't have gone where he should. I believe he should have. But he hasn't earned the level of respect to to not even ever consider Eli Mitchell. That's all I mean. Same thing with CPAT. It's like, who the hell do the Falcons have? You know, we were talking about Mike Davis as a as a the prototypical dead zone running back. Quadri Allison, Olamide Zacchaeus. You know, what are we talking about here? His paths to fantasy relevancy were there. We just didn't want, you know, we, we weren't. We didn't think it through. And I don't say we, I didn't think it through enough, you know, and then you get a little tethered to some of the ADP and stuff at the back ends of those drafts. Like that's just human. Um, but so I, I'm not even going to go as far as to say, I don't, I don't want to make any stands at the back ends of drafts, but I definitely, I think this is also kind of part of that. I want to be more thoughtful about those guys. Like I'm, I want to go through the guys that are being undrafted <laughs> and be like, okay, okay. What's here? You know, last year, I think I was just pretty lazy about it, you know, letting the market sort of decide who was relevant back there. When we, I mean, we know at the ends of drafts, the market has no idea what it's doing. None. 
zero. And there's guys getting, you know, Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman are like 14th round picks and they don't even, they're not even on the team. Travis Fulgham wasn't even in the NFL, you know? So um, I think that one's in, the late round stuff is definitely something we'll, we'll be talking about. Mark says, was drafting injured players like Will Fuller and Curtis Samuel a bad process? No. <clears throat> Will Fuller. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't take a ton of Curtis, Curtis Samuel personally, just because I preferred other, you know, other players in that, in that range, but I definitely drafted Will Fuller plenty particularly on DraftKings. Um, the injury thing is just like, what do you do? You know, uh, I wish I had something super profound to sit here and say, but what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's absolutely paths that existed for Will Fuller to have a great year. Obviously they didn't happen. You know, Jalen Waddell goes bonkers. Right. Mike Kosicki has a has a good season. You know, I, I don't I don't like I said, I wish I had something super profound to, to say about the injury thing. But um, some people will tell you, oh, Will Fuller is injury prone. Curtis Samuel is is injury prone. And those people would have not drafted Will Fuller a couple of years ago when he was the league winner of all league winners. <laughs> you know, so uh, injuries are just part of the game. It is what it is. We unfortunately just have to stomach it. You know, I mean, think about, look at Derrick Henry. If you draft, like, I was not drafting Derrick Henry. If if you drafted, if you were super, super high on Derrick Henry, I mean, you were right. This guy was on path to one of the most legendary seasons of all time. Just got hurt. Were you wrong? I mean, other than being a running back lover, which, as we know, we know the pitfalls of the running back lovers. Kidding. Kidding kidding i know that there were a lot of running backs that did well um nah injuries just an unfortunate part of the game eric says we do know for a fact that hard line conclusions and entire strategies will be formed for next year based on how this season finished of course it's important important to learn and grow as a player but i get the sense that because there are a few league winners i.e penny amon ra chase burrow there will be more player-centric takes and player chasing when we know the edge is in construction. Mic drop. Boom. Nothing to add, Eric. Would you like to switch? You're, are you the real Eric? Would you like to switch places? Nailed it. Nothing to add. Perfectly, perfectly summarized. We know that construction and, and, you know, sound strategy, sound, Portfolio management, blah, 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 is the key to the game. There are small edges, in my opinion, in player eval, player archetype, team uh, team takes. There's absolutely edges in all of that. The issue is that the market generally takes all of that too far. And thus, it is much more valuable for us to focus on the structure and and non-player centric side of things as Eric so eloquently outlines. I think I want to be less scared of committee backfields next year. These guys have upside with built-in floors. Yep. I think that is fair. I think the Cardinals showed us that, um, you know, obviously in the right situations, a, com a committee back on the Jaguars 
not so good. Shout out to everyone who declared James Robinson um, the league winner after ETN went down. Um, the, you know, uh, committee back on, even on the Chiefs, shoot, look at Daryl Williams. I mean, I know he, he's not as quite as much of a committee back right now, but every time Daryl Williams gets out there, even if he's playing 60% of snaps, he smashes, right? James, James Conner and Chase Edmonds both had usable weeks, and then they additionally have the contingent value. You also need to make sure that that exists, right? So to this point, targeting committee backfields is like honestly kind of a good thing because of like what you said, you can, James Conner was getting one yard touchdowns every week, <laughs> even when Chase Edmonds was healthy because the offense is scoring points and he has that valuable role. And then if we have identified the situation where when Chase Edmonds goes down, it's James Conner's show. He's the workhorse. James Conner is now going to be like what we talked about earlier with Alexander Madison, whatever, where the guy goes down. He's now going to be high, one of the highest raw points projected running backs, right? If you're doing, if you're doing DFS projections or you're doing a season long ranking, when Chase Edmonds is out, James Conner is what? Top five back for sure. Top 10, you know, and you got him in the 10th round because the contingent value exists that he becomes a borderline workhorse or, or is a workhorse. When that guy's gone. Now, if you identify the committee, the Ravens, right? Gus Edwards goes down. Oh, baby, Tyson Williams time. Well, Tyson Williams obviously wasn't good enough to play. And then even then, it's a committee between Devon. Now, they're two dusty running backs, but right? But it's still a committee. Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray both still playing. Um, honestly, the, the the Pats were like a, fring, a, a fringy one. Damian Harris, um, was the lead right in a committee. We knew that inherently coming in, especially once Sony was gone. We knew that Damien was going to be the guy. Ramondre would need to grow a little bit, right? We were seeing Ramondre in uh, healthy and actives and stuff early part of the year, but James White had the passing, the passing role. Damien Harris small, saw a small boost in the passing role when James White went, went down and then was a pretty significant lead in all the, the rushing stuff until a little bit later in the season when Ramondre did, did emerge. So they're like, they were like this kind of like hybrid hybrid type situation where it was always valuable. And then there wasn't as much contingent value with like a James Conner, but there was, there was kind of enough um, on a good offense with a good offensive line playing in a lot of good game scripts, blah, 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 that it made it very valuable. Let's see here. Yeah. Jonathan says uh, injuries are bad luck. Now, not drafting with MT was one of my biggest wins, and Fuller was a big L. Yeah, ain't that funny with the with the uh, injuries? That's how it always goes. Uh, Erica says, also, how there's so many Erics? Do you are you like? Do you guys just only go to streams of people with the same name as you? Do Josh and Hayden like? I I think I've only met like one or two Haydens in my entire life. Do all the Haydens go watch the Underdog Football Show? Every comment I pull up is a new Eric. This is weird. Is this a this is what 2022 is going to be? Every time I show up, it's just going to be a bunch of different Erics commenting on my stream. Thank God. Spoiler alert: We're bringing in. We're going to be pumping out a lot more content, written and media, for Spike Week. So you won't have to only stare at my ugly mug. So we'll test this theory to see if the all you Erics out there go to when I when somebody else is hosting the stream. Um, anyway, I should I forgot to read the question. Also noticed a couple of teams. Eric says also noticed a couple of teams by the top 
that had two running backs from the same team. So handcuffed their handcuffed their running backs. Is that something we should do more? Um, that's actually something uh, that's that's definitely interesting. I think um, another one similar to some of the other pre- the previous comments that that I want to I want I want to think a little bit more. I don't have a firm concrete answer to. Um, I, I think my general lean, um, similar to the Henderson thing, is that I, I still believe pretty passionately that um, we don't want to handcuff our running backs because of the upside that it's, it's capping. However, there's certainly um, maybe a little bit more argument than we would have ever given it to the fact that uh, navigating your way through all this with, you know, through the regular season and through the playoffs, um, you know, with ping ponging a little bit of, you know, having guaranteeing that RB one spot to navigate your way through this is um, something to at least have a discussion about i think um i think it becomes difficult because it's it's one of those things where again i mentioned earlier you only have 150 bullets in the chamber in one of these tournaments and you have to draw lines in the sand somewhere you you no matter no matter what you think no matter if you think i'm i'm gonna you know i'm just gonna spread everything out i'm gonna you know cover all my bases you're just never ever ever gonna cover all your bases and so we absolutely just have to draw lines in the sand somewhere on certain strategies, structures, absolutely players, teams, whatever. And everybody has to do that for themselves. And I think, you know, at a certain point, like I said, you have to make a decision. And that's one of the things that I think um, probably does not fall into my portfolio. But I think it's at least a little bit more as we evolve, as we evolve in this best ball game, I think it's something that we can at least maybe think a little bit more about and, and look into some of these situations. You know, and I don't mean look into like the best ball data on it, right? The tournament data. Oh, there's teams that fit. Like you said, I, this is not me mocking you, Eric, even though I just mocked all the Eric's. Um, looking into like the actual like re- football results data of, okay, h- how is this actually setting up for our best ball teams? When Dalvin misses five games in a year and we get five Alexander Madison week, RB1 weeks, how is that? How, how are those points coming to us? How is that affecting our overall roster? Right, blah blah blah. Looking at that kind of thing, as opposed to just. Oftentimes, people will grab these best ball results and be like, "Look, see, five percent of the teams in BBM handcuffed their running back. We need to do it. We need to do it." And it's like that's not the way that we should be thinking about this. That's not predictive, you know. Even though we may think that it is, like, look, that team was good. It did well, and they handcuffed. We need to go in a little bit more in depth. We need to be, you know, more thoughtful and think deeper and figure out the why and figure out not only the why, but the predictive value of the why. So um, let me see. Anthony says, if we could track best ball ADP over the course of the season, it will allow us to draft a better sample of players. Uh, Something I am working on for you guys. I'll have a lot more on uh, maybe hopefully next week or within the next couple of weeks, everything that we're hopefully going to be pushing out tools wise and all that kind of stuff spike week working on that for sure um i'm way behind here on these comments let me who's the leonard fournette of next year thanks in advance i will hang up and listen don't ask me because i wasn't drafting leonard fournette somebody else is gonna have to answer that one for you i am the big dumb idiot that was stubborn on lenny and it did not go well for me let's see there's good 
good comments. Champ also says, why is no one talking about Fuller? How does a bro broken finger warrant missing the entire season? Man, I don't know. That one's uh, – I don't know. That one is that one is tough. Yep. I mean, here's a good late round example of I also was taking Colin Johnson. I also was drafting a fair bit of Jags um, stacks, which, holy shit, <laughs> I can't imagine – um, a worse mistake, honestly. I would rather have drafted 100% Darrington Evans than drafted any Jaguar stacks. If I if I got to do, if I have to, to choose between those two things, knowing the results that I know now, I would rather have 100% of an injured player who never ever ever contributed to my team than stomach having Jaguar stacks, particularly on teams that like are live or something like that. So anyway, I was drafting Jaguar stacks, and as Tony says, he made a stand on on Colin Johnson and. I, my thought process was the same. I'm, I'm fairly excited about this offense. Fourth wide receiver, that's at least a little bit murky. I mean, you know, there's people out there that didn't like Visca. DJ Chart clearly has not particularly proven himself. Colin Johnson was running with the ones during training camp, blah, blah, blah. Well, turns out Colin Johnson sinks, gets cut by the, gets cut by the Jags, and never to be seen from again, basically. Um, let me see. Yeah. Another Anthony says, uh, too many backdoor Lawrence Colin Johnson stacks. Rob says, I also think we should anchor ourselves to offenses instead of Siri somehow caught me and was listening to a rant about Colin Johnson and just pulled up. Apparently there's a Colin Johnson that plays basketball for Coppin State, if you guys were curious. Plays? Played? The play? Yep. Yeah. There you go. Oh, no, played 1991. He was born in 1991. So there you go. You don't get just best ball data here. He averaged 2.9 points per game. Shout out Colin Johnson. Probably the only time Colin Johnson from Coppin State has ever been shouted out on a, a show, and I bet he didn't think it was going to be a, a best ball show. Anyway, Rob says, I also think we should anchor ourselves to offenses instead of just players and only one off occasionally on the offenses because we know they're going to be bad. This seems obviously... This seems obvious, but we still talked ourselves into it. Mayfield. Maybe we were just wrong about the the Jaguars. The I mean, the Giants got to be the best example of this, right? The Browns like having the lead offensive line. They had Odell. They had Landry, Chubb, Hunt, whatever. Baker stinks, but like there was reasons to be optimistic about the Browns. Uh, the Giants. Like we were take, still taking – I mean, Saquon is, I guess, Saquon, but we were taking Saquon in the first or second round. You know, every year, every year we talk ourselves into Evan Ingram. Why? Beats me. Sterling Shepard was okay, right, but obviously got hurt. Sterling Shepard was a fine pick. Kadarius Tony was a fine pick and just never stayed healthy. But, I mean, not, the Giants are just a train wreck, an absolute, absolute train wreck. We did the same thing with the Bears. And David Montgomery ended up fairly decent, but, like, Bears offense, not very good. Bad offensive line. I think um, another thing from like underdog, the underdog show, smart people, um, Brandon Thorne, listening to the brain and thorns of the world about, you know, who are going to be the best offensive lines. You know, the offensive line thing is crazy important. How many of the best offenses in the league have bad offensive lines? The Bengals. About it. It's probably about it. And it's masked because they have Joe, freaking Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, EJ CJ Uzoma is even good too. Like outside of that, most of the 
uh, good offenses or offensive line. So I actually think offensive line is something that I was putting stock into, but um, that could be something as well from a lessons learned perspective. Let me see here. Thanks, Tom. I know. Thanks for the reminder. I'm never, ever going to forget this season because of Darrington Evans. I may forget, you know, had a sweat for a million dollars. You know, the Trey Lance thing was obviously a debacle. I may forget all of that stuff. I will never forget Darrington Evans. I mean, I have literally watched Darrington Evans like uh, Madden streams. Hoping he would like, like when he was hurt, like, is he going to say something like I'll be back in a week or something? Nope. That's the kind of effort you get from over here. We'll watch Twitch streams of our favorite players to see how their injury is going. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Josh says, um, as, as we're, Slowly starting to wrap up on and keep trying to hit some of these questions. Josh says, really appreciate all really appreciate all of your intense interest in underdog and best ball in general. Made the summer and the season an absolute blast. I agree. Uh a year, a summer, a football season, like I'll never <clears throat> excuse me. I will never I'll never forget it. And this is just only just the beginning. I mean, all you guys, unreal. Absolutely unreal. I never dreamed. Here's a lesson I've learned. I never dreamed I started this the best ball journey uh, in like April or so made the pitch to, you know, my bosses and stuff because I, I work full time in like the DFS and sports betting space. Basically I made the pitch to like my bosses that um, I think we should go after this best ball space. No one is really doing it. Obviously Josh and Hayden did. um, And there was, you know, some other companies attacking it a little bit. I made the pitch that we should go after this thing pretty hard they basically gave me blessed enough to have the runway and the leash to kind of take this thing by myself and run with it. Um, and so I never would have dreamed me just like randomly starting up and doing <laughs> streams about best ball in April, May of last year would turn into us in week 17 before Monday night football, all sitting here talking about all the things that we've learned and like meeting all of you guys and like you guys meeting each other and I'm meeting Josh and like, you know, just an unreal year, man. Absolutely unreal year. Hopefully anybody that has sweats going into tonight, it works out for them. Uh, I know we have a lot of people in the discord, including Liam that uh, are having monster, monster years. And it's just, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Um, let me hit just a couple, couple last minute items here before we, before we wrap up. Oh, the rookie, rookie stuff. That's uh Say Matt Corral ends up in Denver. Well, you have more or less Denver stacks than you had Jacksonville stacks this year. Was Herbert an outlier above the mean and Lawrence an outlier below? That is an excellent question. Um, I think my take was that this quarterback class this year was both... uh, This take was wrong, by the way. I thought that this quarterback class was an outlier in terms of both the general, you know, median overall talent level and the ceiling and probably the floor, all of this was wrong. Literally could not be more wrong. My, my, my take, you're also getting those guys coming into in general, good situations, right? Even down to Mac Jones. I thought, (laughs) 
Lawrence had a pretty quality offense around him and is one of the best quarterback prospects ever. So I felt confident in him. They all run, right? Trey Lance is a runner on in what you couldn't dream of a better situation for a rookie quarterback, Justin Fields runner, right? Not quite as good of a situation, but decent enough, I guess. Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, and then Mac Jones, even right. It's the Patriots, you know, totally fine situation. And so I, I think I may have got a little bit out over my skis with some of that. And some of the Herbert um, results certainly could have, could have uh, played into that. But I also think it was a very, very one-off situation between the combination of the skill sets and skill levels of all these different quarterbacks, as well as the situations that they were landing in. Matt Corral, in my opinion, isn't even, would not even fall into the top. For, you know, he, he isn't better. He isn't a better prospect than, and I'm not an expert prospect evaluator. Um, but I do, I do watch a lot of college football and I play a ton of college football DFS. Matt Corral is not on the same level as, as those guys. So the rookie thing next year will be pretty interesting because the class is nowhere near. I mean, it's one of the worst actually quarterback classes. And so someone like Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett or somebody's absolutely going to, you know, Sam Howell is going to make me eat those words, I'm sure, because that's just how it goes. But um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be in the market might take this season too far. And then I will be coming back saying, well, now all these rookies are going in the 15th round. So maybe we should take them, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So that's going to wrap up episode one, best ball lessons, spikeweek.com. In case you guys missed it, this is the first in a new moving forward content schedule for the next foreseeable future. And there will be more content, written media, everything added in moving forward. But now that we kind of gotten through this season, I want to get into a groove. We'll obviously be talking NFL playoff best ball soon. The playoffs for, you know, all my NBA best ball grinders, MLB drafting will be coming. And before we know it, the NFL, NFL uh, best ball stuff will be back up and running. So, I'm going to get into this groove Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, Monday, best ball lessons, Wednesday, a new show called best ball bros, which I am not going to spoil. I'm really excited about that one. And then Fridays we'll get back into the drafting game, calling it this super secret, top secret drafters club, where we'll get back in drafting game, whatever is relevant at that time. We'll do some draft streams. We bring in guests and uh, just tons and tons more, more content and tons and tons more stuff coming um with with spike week so i really appreciate all you guys comments i appreciate you coming and hanging out with me like i said uh catch us on wednesday every show will be at 5 30 p.m eastern all of them monday wednesday friday 5 30 p.m eastern uh so we can kick off your weekend we can get you through hump day all that good stuff best ball never dies best ball is 365 what a world what a world we live in 365 days a year best ball love you guys uh Be back on Wednesday. Catch you in a couple days. See ya.